Hello, and welcome to Paddy Wants to Know Brexit, the podcast where we take a look at what the hell is going on at the moment with Brexit. Uh, each episode, we're going to take a look at some of the key topics around Brexit, uh, mainly from an Irish perspective. Um, and then we'll have an interview with someone on a specialised topic, uh, i.e. one of those much maligned experts. Just a bit of uh, housekeeping to kick us off. Uh, some of our guests each week uh, are going to be anonymous. This is because uh, we think they have something of worth to say, but professionally they are not in a position to contribute in a public forum. But we do hope that some of their views um, will help illuminate the conversation around Brexit. Um, so just to uh, kick us off, I'm going to introduce my two co-hosts, uh, Jack Good and Neve Mahan. Say hello, guys. Yeah. How are you? Two uh, very lovely people. I'm, I'm sure you'll grow to love them as the series uh, develops. So um, without further ado, the first topic we're going to look at is kind of looking back a bit. So we had the first phase of negotiations concluded around December. There was a lot of acrimony between uh, UK and Irish politicians. Uh, but eventually uh, we, we came to an agreement uh, between all uh, 27 member states or 28 member so states. When you say acrimony between UK and Irish politicians, you mean the DUP and, and the UK the, and Irish politicians? And, the, Ar- and the Irish Brexiteers. <laughs> and some of the Northern Irish politicians as well. <laughs> A lot of the DUP were involved in that. So we're just going to look back and ask, did Ireland actually get as good a deal as we all initially seem to think we did in early to mid-November, i.e. that you know the Good Friday Agreement would be retained under any Brexit scenario, the common travel area was uh, would be retained, uh, and probably you know the most interesting point I thought was that there would be a commitment from the UK government that there would be no border even in the event of a no-deal scenario emerging. So I just wonder, if did we actually get as good a deal as we thought we were going to get? We do seem to have as good as a deal as we hoped at the moment for what Brexit would bring out for us. We have promises made anyways, nothing's fulfilled, I guess, but nothing's either changed. The big question is whether or not you can have a single market of the UK, including Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, or a special, you know, basically a special deal whereby the island of Ireland, which is an entity in Rugby terms is an entity in terms of food safety, if an exception can be made of that, whereby Northern Ireland is still in the single market and you would have a border basically in the ports of Lyon. But that is not politically palatable, so that that question still hasn't been resolved at all. Mm, I think they've what they've given us is really a contradiction and they're aware of that in that they've said you we'll have full alignment between Northern Ireland and the Republic, but then we'll also have, uh, what's it, lack of divergence or um, between uh, the UK and Northern Ireland, but then that leaves Northern Ireland as some sort of hotspot in order to trade in, which, I mean, that, they're not going to let that loophole happen, I think. So what they've given us is a contradiction, I think, but I think from our side, maybe, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, they've kind of as well given us what we do want. I mean, we don't know what's going to come out of it in the end, but they have given us a promise, as we said, a promise, what's what's a promise hold? But they've said that it's going to be a soft border. They're going to, it mightn't work well for the UK or Northern Ireland, but I think it's going to work well for Ireland. One way or the other, if the UK does diverge, if not now, but in five, ten years time and, you know, at the passage of time, and the UK does diverge on a whole host of rules, there will have to be some sort of checks and Ireland will be at the forefront of maintaining the integrity of the single market whether we like it or not because uh, we're going to be the only country with a land border with the UK. 
I think on the plus side, I mean, it was always going to be a political solution at this stage. Um, and I think what we were talking about there and sort of the negative parts is the economic surety, actual physical infrastructure borders or not, that's still unresolved. So I suppose from the political sense, um, it was a success in that it was one of the main three topics in the first phase. It's clearly, you know, on the agenda. So that was successful. And I suppose maybe that's all we could have hoped for um, from a realistic perspective. Though yeah. are we ever realistic is <laughs> probably part of the problem. Yeah. Basically what we're saying here is that we're looking at something that hasn't really been solved yet. But um, I mean, we can't answer that in our podcast here. That's something that we're going to be able to look at as we go along. Yeah, and I think, you know, the UK government is going to have to make a choice about, you know, what the impact of Brexit is going to be on their economy uh, and how those different iterations of different deals that they could strike with the EU uh, impact their economy and what they're politically willing to be able to take. We're going to draw the curtain back ever so slightly now and hear from our man on the inside, Paddy Brussels, a veteran at this stage. He knows all the goings-ons in the Parliament, the Commission, the Council and the Thursday nights and blast looks. So what did he make about the Taoiseach's comments on a so-called Norway Plus deal? I'm not sure what Vranker was talking about in relation to a Norway Plus deal, to be honest. If you think about it rationally, the Norway deal currently is for a single market access with the downside of not being able to have action in the decision-making process. Either he's saying Norway is the base, so then they'll get that plus the de- some decision-making process, or maybe some restrictions around the freedom of movement that the UK will be able to impose some sort of migration controls or perhaps pay more money in or something like that. It's a strange one, and I'm not sure if it's a slip of the tongue. For the Irish government, you know, they've got two fundamental objectives, which is one, making sure there's no return to the hard border along Northern Ireland. And number two, it's getting the best access to the UK market, you know, as, as best as possible. And to be honest, some sort of single market and a customs union membership would solve both of those problems. So what's the benefits for Ireland of a Norway plus deal anyway? So then Irish companies would trade freely with British companies and there'd be no hard border in the north, but definitely Ireland would be pushing for the best possible trade deal. And as you said, the EU might not be interested to give such free trade, but that does not stop the Irish government advocating for that. I think this is what Theresa May was getting to when she spoke about a red, white and blue Brexit a year ago. I don't know if you've seen this graph that the Barnier team circulated and published online about a year ago basically included different types of associations with the EU for non-EU members. So the best one was the Norway option, a step down was the Swiss, then after that was the Ukraine, and then it goes into Canada, which which is a, a free trade deal. If you're thinking about this objectively, then the UK has more leverage than Norway did, or the Swiss in, in negotiating its terms with the EU. So in some ways, there could objectively be a UK option, and I think that's what Leo... Our Taoiseach was was getting it. Were the Brits happy with it? David Davis gave a speech in which he essentially conceded to all the EU demands during the transition. And he's conceded defeat for a while. Um, They'll remain under the jurisdiction of the EU. It's still in the EU Court of Justice. It will apply its law. The two caveats that the British were hoping to get from this transition period was... A, that in the withdrawal agreement that got sufficient progressing in December, they said that free movement would continue. But in actual fact, the Brits thought that they got an agreement that the freedom movement would be caveated or conditioned during this transition period. But if you read that agreement, it says any EU immigrants of the UK after the 29th of March 2019. 
they'd be subject to different immigration rules than those who arrived before. So that was what was agreed. But the agreement also said that this does not predetermine the transition phase. So what the EU has done since then is move the dates of these caveats from the 29th of March to December 2019, which is the end of the transition period. So they moved the goalposts for the British. And as far as I can tell, they've been surprised by this and they just weren't expecting it. So uh, how will the UK deal with immigrants post-Brexit then? They've been surprised at the EU's toughening stance. In, in David Davis's speech early in January, he said that there'll be a new system for immigrants. I'm not sure this will happen. I'm not sure whether that that's in breach of free movement, but perhaps not. The UK wouldn't have input into EU decision-making matters, but it would be subject to its rules. So I think David Davis said that in the transition period, so it was two years or one year and eight months, uh, so any new EU laws would become applicable that had probably had UK input. So this input of these new rules that would be proposed at that point probably won't take effect until after the period is over. So they will only have to follow the, the odd few EU rules that was agreed during the transition period and will be applicable to the UK. So maybe they'll have some sort of separate mechanisms for dealing with those. So yeah, like this is how, you know, how they're saying like there'll be some sort of registration system that like that this registration system and being these these potential new rules might be a way to win over the the, the hard Brexiters. I think Irish people should assume that the common travel area should continue going forward. Like, I think it's an achievement to have retained the common travel area. Was maintaining the common travel area inevitable? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Like, it, I mean, to change that would have been a huge reversal pol- policy. You know, it, it seems to have been quite an easy win. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, there's so many Irish people living in the UK, so many that any change to it would have created so many problems. Uh, it would have also connected the rights of each citizen. So, I mean, if you think about it, British citizens living in Ireland, can they've got the right to vote in referendums and in the general election and vice versa for Irish in the UK. I mean, and even that includes the abortion referendum and, you know, not to bring that up or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I assume any changes would involve getting rid of those rights. So we've just heard from Paddy Brussels there. Um, Neve. I mean, you had a few thoughts on, on what he had to say there. What, what, what was the main thing that struck you? I think from like an Irish perspective, I mean, we discussed the whole single market access and the freedom of movement. I think they were kind of the two things that really struck out for me from when we were chatting to our um, what's it, Paddy Brussels. Is is it worth just pausing there for a moment and actually because we're going to hear single market and we're going to hear customs union quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so the way I remember the single market is if you're lucky enough to get a Ryanair flight and you walk off the plane and you have your euro coins and you now have no roaming charges. Um, that's basically the single market in action. So to put it in a European Union perspective, you have the four freedoms. Um, people, money, goods and services. Um, but that's basically the single market. So it's as, And it's all as, the rules surrounding that. It's as close as you can get. Mm-hmm. So that that's single market in a nutshell. To briefly go through the customs union, um, the way I'd look at it, just as an easy way to remember, is the three musketeers, all for one and one for all. If it's good enough to come into one of the member states' countries, it's good enough to then be transported to any of the other member states. Yeah, so, that's pretty much it. Um, I mean, w- what's not in it, food or agriculture, 
which we'll discover are quite protected, um, services, which are hugely important for the City of London, um, or the really exciting and sexy topic of government procurement. Um, so th- th- those are the two, basically, single market and customs union in yeah. a nutshell. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, when we, I think what we got from there is that when we discussed the Norway Plus and what those comments meant, uh, what those comments actually meant, that we'd have access to this uh, and that we'd that Britain would continue to have that access, but that they'd be, but that they'd have no decision making. I think that's kind of what we took out of that. Um, a rule taker rather than a rule maker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I suppose for me, I just don't. I, I don't disagree with the points that Paddy Brussel has made. I just don't see domestically in the UK how it happens. You'll have we'll discuss a, another point: the implementation period from 2019 to the end of 2020 where the UK is basically going to follow all the rules, be a rule taker rather than a rule maker, etc. But I don't see how it is palatable to the current UK government to do that in perpetuity, which is what a Norway plus is. There's there's a slight irony in the defence of that, though, um, particularly from the Brexiteer side, in that most of the rules they will have had input in making. Um, so they're yeah. happy to accept that. But and, it, it and, just and, seems and that it is slightly odd because one of the big bones of contentions is that these are rules enforced from Brussels, but if they're happy during the transition period to take them because they've had an input, it it just seems to slightly... Further irony upon irony is, you know, a lot of these Brexiteers, you know, hero, Maggie Thatcher, was one of the biggest pushers of, or proponents of the single market, you know, Uh, and now here they are, you know, saying they want nothing to do with it or they want to be part of a single market, but not the single market, whatever the distinction is. Well, they want more free trade, and which, I mean, you don't get purer. I mean, if it was cocaine, this is 100% pure. <laughs> um, you don't exactly. get purer in the single market. So I think uh, that's it for, for this week, folks. Um, thanks very much for, for, for listening into the inaugural Paddy Wants to Know Brexit. And fair play for staying to the end. If you did indeed, for those of you who did. Thank you very much. Thanks, um, Mom. <laughs> um, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Well, let's not commit. But, well, we, we'll see what the reaction is to this. Come um, on, middle Jack. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, if you have any comments, uh, give us uh, an email at paddywantsnobrexit at gmail.com. Hopefully it hasn't been taken. <laughs> That's all for now, folks. Thank you. Goodbye.